now, the moment you've all been waiting for, Joseph Murray! And the Joe Show flew proud, it was so successful, Joe and Gabriel made so much money, that they got their own studio. And Joy got her baking business off the ground. Then Gabriel put wings on a motorcycle so he could ride it around. So say does that Joe show will be successful. But we will do this until we succeed And we won't stop until we're dead patriotic joseph me i'm always patriotic or i try to be anyway but i mean with this particular subject it's it's really kind of not hard it's i mean it's it's not what do i want to say it's not um it's not hard to not get patriotic i think that's what i was trying to say because i mean um the way i see it is black history is american history you know what i'm saying like, like if yeah. you look at a lot of the similarities between um, what happened with the forefathers of America and what happened with the forefathers of black history, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, look at what happened with um, our forefathers. They came here to this country. They didn't want to be under the rule under England. So what did they do? They fought for it, you know. Um, they uh, Slavery was going on here. Uh, there were people that thought that was a bad thing. You know what they did? They stood up and they fought for it. And that's what I think was happening here. A lot of these uh, men and women, they're fighting for what they believe in. And that's why I think that, I mean... Black history is American history. It's just the American thing to do. We've always fought for what we want it for. You know what I'm saying, man? I, I don't know. I just really hate when people try to disassociate it. Like, they say, oh, black history is just for black people. No, it's for everyone because it's it's our history. If you are American and you're born here in the United States of America, it is your history. Yeah, it's something you don't want to talk about because there's a lot of bad things that happen. But, you know, as Kelly Clarkson said, you know, what don't kill you makes you stronger. You know, somebody somebody probably said that before she did. But, you know, she's the one that gets credited for it. <laughs> so the first person I wanted to um, go over was W.E.B. Du Bois. Man, that is a freaking mouthful there. Every time I was trying to read it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Jesus. It's like every time I read it, I was just like, nope, I'm going to just call him W. Du Bois. And then, um, but yeah, he was the, um, he was an influential African-American rights activist during the early of 20, early 20th centuries. Um, yeah, dude, this guy wasn't just influential. I went on his Wikipedia mm -hmm. page and, you know, people have their, their feelings about Wikipedia. I like to use it because i think it's pretty accurate nowadays but dude 
his resume never ended. Like I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I'm just like, well, this guy was pretty influential. And I'm sitting here looking at some of the photos and stuff. It's, I mean, what was he doing? He was a, uh, a journalist mm-hmm. and so you'd see some of the stuff here that he was t- people he was working with some of the stuff there uh of certain issues that were going on and, and then one of them he's sitting here hanging out with uh mao the chinese uh chinese leader i was like what what yeah who is this yeah, guy it was um yeah because he went overseas to he did a what was it germany no he went to france i think uh no, it was it was Germany. Germany. Yeah, he went. He went to yeah, Berlin. He went over to Berlin to do school. Years. So yeah, he wasn't. He just didn't stay here and do his work. He went overseas, and he that's where he learned a lot of. That's where he gained all his knowledge. Mostly was from overseas, and then he brought it back to the United States. And he's just. I mean, one of the big things from reading about him is he used his knowledge and his talent of writing to get his point across and a very, um, um, you know, not like pushing this down people's throat, but he's like, Hey, this is an issue that is very, um, prominent now. We gotta, we gotta nip this in the bud here, you know? So, uh, I thought that was really, really cool. And one thing I didn't understand about like, even in his early life, there was this word here. It said like, uh, the boys identified himself as a mulatto. And I was, is that yeah. right? And I was like, what's a mulatto? Well, he was mixed um, because because um, here and what I'm looking at, it says the boys uh, identified himself as a mulatto, but freely attended schools with whites and was enthusiastically, enthusiastically supported in his <laughs> academic studies by his white teachers. And I was like, OK, this is a black guy and they really liked him. So I looked up mulatto and that's what it meant. It was just meant that he was um, of mixed race. And so that's why it was I don't want to say kind of easier for him, but that's why they kind of they were like, oh, he's got a uh, white. And so I guess this will be fine, you know. But hmm. I thought that was um I thought that was really cool and everything, but uh, let's see. One thing, he was born in 1895. Wait, that don't look right. That ain't right. Uh, no, sorry. No. So yeah. what I wrote down, here's what I wrote down. Born on February 23rd of 1868 yes. uh, in this tiny little town. I don't know how tiny it is. I never really got a good bearing on where this town is but uh it's somewhere in massachusetts uh, called great barrington this dude lived until the age of 95 (laughs) and he get he was born in the middle 1800s and like (laughs) ooh, that's pretty so like and uh he died what is that that's six years before uh we really gotta go on civil rights and everything, you know. So yeah. he really didn't even get to see what his um, work did, you know. He just kind of he kind of did all this, fought for what he believed in, and then he dies six years before he could really see the um, end game of it, you know. Absolutely. And uh, he was a journalist, an educator, a civil rights activist. <clears throat> he received a bachelor's degree from Fisk University, and that wasn't even good enough for him. Because then in 1895, uh, he was the first black graduate with a doctor's degree. Then after that, he finished with uh, he finished school here in the States, and then he went over to uh, Berlin, Germany. Uh, he was the co-founder and editor of the National Association for the Adma- Advancements of Colored People, as I like to pronounce it, NACAP, <laughs> <laughs> the NAACP. And then uh, 
One thing I found odd, though, in our very capitalistic society, he admired communism. He believed that the capitalistic, or he believed that capitalism was the cause of racism in the U.S. Expand on that. So, in the words of uh, biogra- what is it, biographer uh, David Lewis, Du Bois did not endorse communism for its own sake, but did so because the friends of his enemies were his friends. The same ambiguity characterized Du Bois' opinions of Joseph Stalin in 1940. He wrote disdainfully of the tyrant, quote-unquote, Stalin. Uh, but when Stalin died in 1953, Du Bois wrote a eulogy characterizing Stalin as a simple, calm, and courageous uh, courageous man, and lauding him for being the first to set Russia on the road to conquer race, prejudice, and make one of uh, make one nation of its 140 groups without destroying their individuality. And so the FBI kind of FBI heard a bit about his communistic tendencies. They opened a uh, file on them and they started compiling data on him in 1942. But the investigation seemed to have ended about a year afterwards on account of there being insufficient evidence on Dr. Dubois. Gotcha. One thing that I really like, one thing I was reading too, was uh, you, you see that uh, encounter he had with Booker T. Washington? Uh-uh. Well, <clears throat> they said that uh, while he was working at the Atlanta University, um, he was exposed to Booker T. Washington's uh, Atlanta Com- Compromise, which basically said, that it was an agreement that asserted that the vocational education for blacks was more valuable to them than social advantages like higher education and political office. So basically, what I'm getting from that, Booker T. Washington had this Atlanta compromise, and it was agreement to say that um, it was better for um, blacks to learn how to work, have like a working education, you know, like a kind of like an MTI, you know. Or like in a factory or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and it was more that was more valuable to them than learning about you know uh, literature or tr- trying to or learning something that'll get them into political offices. And the boys yeah. was he was completely against that. He was like, hey, you know, no. Not only should they be have vocational education, they should be able to have higher education and maybe even some um, education that allow them to even get into political office. You know. And yeah, that's what I remember. You said Carter G. Woodson. That was one of the things that he said. He was the second yeah. guy to get out of Harvard. With, yeah. You know what? With a doctor. I like that segue. <laughs> what into? Uh, yeah, what's Carter his name? G. Right. Carter G. Woodson. Yeah, Woodson. Sorry, I didn't do much on him. He he just he he was just amazing on like every how educated these guys were. I'm like these are some solid guys. Yeah. Like yeah. And one of the, but this was more on the works of uh, Dr. Dubois. He had this thing he termed, what was it? The term uh, double double consciousness. Mm -hmm. And this is more on your thing talking about mulattoes. The term originated from an article of uh, Dubois titled Strivings of the Negro People, published in August of 1897. Can you say that word? Uh, I don't know. It was was in 1897, so I guess I'm allowed to if I'm quoting a book, Uh, right? I don't know. (laughs) It's not cussing if somebody else said it. (laughs) issues of atlantic monthly it was later republished and what is it and slightly edited under the title of our spiritual strivings Mm -hmm. which i also saw that uh dubois was not very uh he wasn't very religious in any sense uh some even referred to him as a uh atheist but uh the souls of uh black folk uh dr dubois described double consciousness as follows it is peculiar sensation this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, 
of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks into looks in on it amused contempt and pity one ever feels its tuness an american a negro two souls two thoughts two unreconciled strivings two warring ideals in one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder the history of the american negro is the history of its strife this longing to attain self-consciousness manhood to merge its double self into a better and truer self in his merging he wishes neither to be of or neither of the older selves to be lost he does not wish to africanize america for america has too much to teach the world and africa he would bleach his negro blood into a flood of white americanism for he knows that negro blood has a message for the world he simply wishes to make it possible for a man to both a negro and american without being cursed and spit upon by his fellows without having the doors of opportunity close roughly in his face and i was like that dude was deep i I right? really like that. And it's just, and you can really, just reading about him, you can really see that in his life. I mean, he not only fought for the rights for blacks, he also fought for the rights of women, too, as I was reading there, too. And I was just like, he was he was basically saying um, everybody should be treated equal. He was just looking for equality. It's he's, and that's what, that was, what was so amazing about him. You know, he was really trying to fight for equality and it was crazy that he's, you know, and it, I think that's kind of, uh, crazy how he was mixed, you know? So he was like, he's kind of like, he physically it's, he was fighting for what, Oh, I lost it. Uh, I just that end part yeah. there without having the doors of opportunity closed roughly in his face. And I remember you talking to me before about it. And it's like I don't really see that here, but in places like Alabama, mm-hmm. where okay, so a few months ago there was another podcast I like listening to that I feel like I copy a lot of their their ways of doing things. But they recommended a book. It was called uh, "The Sun Does Shine" by Anthony Rahin. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this gentleman? No. Anthony Ray, okay, he he was put on death row in 1985 at the age of 19 and held there for 28 years on death row. At some point, one of his, uh, what was it, in a private conversation with one of his public defer- defense attorneys, he said to Anthony, all y'all blacks always say you didn't do anything and all y'all blacks always sticking up for each other. And the sense of what happened was he was working as a, uh, a warehouse mm-hmm. guy and... Uh, they, they just threw him under the bus. They're like, well, he didn't do this crime, but we're just going to pick him up anyway and throw him. He, he was the, the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And in another sense of like, uh, I, I can't remember what what was said in the book. This is just off my memory here. But it was, uh, you know why you're going to jail is because they can't find the guy and everybody's out mad. And so basically it was like what uh, Anthony referred to it as. If I recall, it was a legal lynching is what they referred referred to it as it was an all-white judge and one of the things that was cold to it just like what uh du bois said it was a uh all of alabama turned in their white cloaks for black cloaks and everybody's all wigged up and stuff like about ready to like hang this kid but instead of that they just sat there behind a gavel and after witness and witness and witness came in they had all this evidence saying he didn't do it but the whole townsfolk, the jury, everybody wanted this kid dead. It's like, okay, regardless of the evidence, all in our hearts, we feel like this guy did it. And even him going through the trial, in his heart, he was like, I didn't do this. But 
So that's like that's like a uh, the Killer Mockingbird, similar yeah. to it. Yeah, but he was wrongfully convicted into doing this, and uh, eventually, whatever happened to us, I don't recall what happened, how it was undone, but uh, the right right buttons were pushed and after like 28 years of being stuck on death row man that would be so scary he said after he got out of uh out of prison he came home and you know this is like what 20 was it 2016 he got out 2017 Mm -hmm. uh he said uh he came home went to bed in his own bed some he couldn't sleep he had a a panic attack and then he went to the bathroom and slept on the bathroom floor and when he woke up that morning he realized that the bathroom was about the same size of his cell that he slept in for the past 28 years so all these things like really dark scary things that could happen to people just because of what why why does that happen to people is it people having a grudge against somebody i think it's just because you know when when people are different people get scared even with some things like today we don't really deal with a lot of different things but change think about change if you are used to this certain lifestyle and then all of a sudden it starts changing drastically you you get afraid and you try to start defending what you believe in you know and so uh that's what i think it was uh let's let's take this all the way back to slavery it was when the civil war happened and when we had the 13th amendment um happened it was it was change you know and this was a way of life that was they were there was a way of life that they were used to and now it was changing and so it turned into okay so now we're afraid of how what's going to happen forward so now we're going to just treat them any old way and you know I, that's what I think a lot of, of what a lot of uh, racism is built up upon. It's, I think it's probably built up upon uh, fear of not knowing. I think that's and that's I think that's what's great about all these these people that we're looking up. You know, these are this. I feel like this is just something that people try to push down because it's associated with, you know, slavery and uh, a lot of bad things with the civil rights that happened. So we try to push it down. But these are amazing men and women and events that happen that we should know about. And this is something that we shouldn't really be just talking about once a month. When I was in school, we had this history book and we had uh, George Washington Carver, Booker T. Washington and Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. So four four uh, black figures out of the rest of the white figures, which, you know, I'm not trying to say, you know, but that's all we had in there. So if my mom hadn't gone out of her way to she would get like this little uh popcorn old tin popcorn uh bucket or whatever and she went up and she looked up all these names or people that she knew and then she would uh strip them into little paper strips and then every day she would swill swiggle the bucket around we dig our hand in it and we pull out a name and whoever we pulled out that's the person we had to look up and research and we did that around black we did that on during the month of february and it was just really good and very eye-opening because these are people you don't know because like i said on here i didn't want to talk about martin luther king jr or rosa parks or george washington carver or booker t because those are people we hear about you know all the time but i mean carter g woodson you know uh w e b 
the boys you know would you like have a title name like that yeah w-e-b the boys yeah and i i think his <laughs> I, I really didn't do any too much research but i think somebody in his family had to be french because uh yeah i the, think it was yeah and then also too i uh, i just think the way that he i mean i think he felt really comfortable going over to germany and working you know, or, or going to school, I just think I just don't know. I just felt like he was super comfortable going over there, and I just think that's kind of why, because he probably had some French ancestors, you know. But yeah, so W. E. B. Du Bois. Yeah, really cool figure. Like further with it, I also detailed uh, Montgomery bus boycott. That was interesting. I didn't really know much about this. They had the Supreme Court rule something that Alabama's racial segregation laws for buses was unconstitutional. <laughs> so I, I wrote some stuff down here. I'll just go through it really quick. Uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, in 1955, the people realized that they were being impacted negatively by their society, and they didn't stand for it. Joanne Robinson was an English professor at Alabama State University. Whoop, whoop. She talked to an organization called the Women's Political Council, or whoop, or also known as WPC. Oh boy, I've pronounced the last two of these. I hope nobody's upset with that. But <laughs> you know, if you get upset by that, just make sure you're right in and you tell Gabriel that you're upset with that. And I'm just, I'm just messing. Yeah, tell me how I'm pronouncing those those consonants well, wrong. Well, I mean, I've messed up a couple times <laughs> on saying pronouncing stuff right, so it's it's all good. Hey, it's all right. They, I mean, none of us are professionals here. We're just like, hey, we should talk about this thing because we're passionate about it. And so here it is. So anyway, Miss Robinson had a uh, confrontation with a bus driver. The, dr- the bus driver demanded that she sit in the back uh, with the blacks only section uh, on pretty much an empty bus. Uh, it ended up with her fling in fear of being hurt by the bus driver uh, when she talked to some other people at the whoop or whoop. What? <laughs> or no, it would be women's women's uh, political council at the women's political council, she found that the other women had similar experiences. Mm-hmm. Like how messed up is that? Like, okay. So I get on a bus. I remember the first time I was on a bus was, which was actually this mm-hmm. year. That's how from the sticks I am. Uh, I've never ridden on a bus. I went out to Colorado and they have this thing, uh, this little network. It's like Denver, Denver's uh, something. Yeah. It's this bus system that they have out there. And so I downloaded their little app and then I jumped on their buses and, uh, I got my first bus ride. I'm like, is this where I get a bus ticket? And the driver's like, yeah, this is how you do it. So they're really nice. Got me on the bus and I just jumped in the front seat. And I'm just like, I'm on a bus. I never once thought about that. And so when I read this post, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like the bus driver got in this fury of like, get, get on the, get back. You can't well, you have here. to think about that there were a lot of segregation, like segregated water fountains, segregated restrooms. So, yeah, I mean, just yeah, just reading here, it was um, basically how it worked. The whites had the front side of the bus, the blacks had the back side of the bus, and if the front side was full, any person that was any black person that was sitting in the back had to give their seat up to the white person, and that's what happened basically with Rosa Parks. She had just gotten off work. Uh, I guess the uh, she was sitting on the back half, and I guess she wouldn't give her seat up to the white gentleman, and on an empty yeah. bus, on an empty bus. I want to see if I'm reading that right. Yeah. Uh-uh. Is that right, or am I mixing two stories up together? Okay. But 
uh, talking about Rosa Parks, on d- December 1st of 1955, uh, the night that Rosa Parks was arrested, Mrs. Robinson heard got wind of that. She jumped into action to start a bus mm-hmm. boycott. At the time, most people were used to getting around by bus. Uh, there weren't many cars on the road. They realized that if they didn't ride the buses that they could, quote, unquote, break the system to a degree. They came up with like 50,000 flyers. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. a crazy number, like in a night, like, okay, let's just start writing out flyers. And then the next morning they came in, passed them around between classes. So, uh, and that was about how many people were in this town of uh, Montgomery. Yeah. Next morning they passed them around between classes. She called a civil rights attorney, Frederick Gray, I believe was mm-hmm. his name. And another man, the, uh, what was his name? E.D. E. Nixon an organizer who decided to endorse this boycott uh they selected a newcomer martin luther king jr his opinions weren't just thoughts but he acted on mm-hmm. them and they really took off uh they would see the empty buses drive down the street uh as they were walking to school and then they would uh put together alternative ways of transportation i remember thinking about this when i was out there in colorado this past summer uh for when i didn't know how to I didn't know that there was a busing system there in Denver. I was like, oh, crap, I got to get up here. How am I going to get up there? <laughs> and uh, I was like, I could hitchhike. I mean, this is Colorado, right? This is the place that they do it. But my uncle was like, no, no, no. He called me. He's like, just take the bus. So I took the bus up to the mountains, which was fine. Really nice. Uh, but, yeah, so they would – these people, they took their, like, new and old station wagons. People would volunteer driving routes uh, that the buses used to take, yep. driving people to work and to school. Uh, the boycott lasted for what was it, 382 days. That'll definitely kill Anyways, a bus. I mean, a business, you know. Yeah, and so it l- lasted from December 1st of 1995, mm-hmm. like I said, to December 20th of 1956. Did you, did you say 1995. <laughs> did I say 1995? <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did. 1955 to uh, December 20th of 1956. Yeah, I, I knew I messed something up. I was like, that didn't sound right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Supreme Court ruled that Alabama's racial segregation laws for buses were unconstitutional which is like imagine doing that doing a boycott that actually meant something like anybody else nowadays is like oh they have well, gender bathrooms and everybody's like just stop going to target well, you just gotta think about how we work nowadays it's just like i mean yeah we'll start a boycott but nobody nobody really believes in it or there's too much like uh people they um boycott chick-fil-a because they don't like some of their political views but People yeah. are still going to go to Chick-fil-A, you know? It's not like... Yeah, and that's this... It's so polarized. People just... Well, we'll just fight them. Fight the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you, I mean, but just hearing this, what benefited them that this was a small community... Like, this was just... It wasn't a... Um, it's It wasn't a huge, like, corporation. This was the bus station in this city that was just for this yeah, area. Yeah, I believe that, that was tax taxpayer, yeah. right? All the taxpayers, yeah. I think, so they just shut that stuff yes. down. And so that's what really benefited them was that it was just a small community and that they that that they made that um, business lose money. So that was what really went for them. I mean, but they, like, you know, if it was like, I don't know, like Walmart or something, I don't know how that would have affected it, you know, too much. But they did have some power hitters, you know, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King on their side and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was pretty cool. And also, too, uh, I went back to look at it. Rosa Parks was sitting in the front row of the black section, and then the white section got full. So the bus wasn't empty. Um, so she okay. was. So they. So what happened was when the um, 
the white person on the bus was going to take that front row in the black section. And she was like, nope, this is my area. I'm not giving it up to you. I've been working all day. And then she got in trouble. Wasn't she a seamstress? Yep. And then she was just leaving work um, from a department store that she was working at. After like a 12-hour day or something like that? Yeah. Whatever. I don't remember how long the day was. I'm, I'm not sure if it was dramatized for political leverage, but geez. Yeah. I mean, just that in itself of... Okay, well, how long was her work day? I mean, we're fighting over that, but she got kicked off a bus because she was black. Like, yeah. But, what? Yep. And that's just some of the things that happened back in the day, you know, man? It's it's crazy, but, it, I mean, stuff like that did happen. And you have to think about this, too. This didn't happen in the northern area. Yeah, this is all yeah, in this Alabama. Is in, like, I was, I was looking over all these things, and I was like, okay, this incident happened in Alabama. This is incident happened in Alabama. I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think about uh, Carter G. Woodson. I mean, he was the person who started um, Black History Month, you know. He was um, – he. did you know it started out just like a week and yeah it was like some weekly newspaper thing and then for whatever reason it turned into it so basically what happened was he wanted to really get this thing going so it started out at this school that he was teaching out and it it went out as a week and it was called like um national uh, or you know national negro week and then it expand it got so popular that it expanded to black history month and then they were like hey choose a month and he said i want to choose february because i know a lot of people they complain about oh we got the black people got the uh smallest month or the shortest month of the year and it's not because of that he actually chose that month to honor abraham lincoln and frederick Douglass, and that's why he he did that so it's i'm just reading some of the stuff that he did like he wrote a bunch of articles as well he was the second african-american to earn his phd from um harvard so and yeah so he was the uh actual father of black history month because he really he he's kind of he's kind of doing i'm doing what he's doing in a smaller scale you know like he wanted to um make sure that everybody knew about black history and about the um figures that did important things um in america and so so he did that on a larger scale, and it just became, boom, what it is today, a month of learning about black history. Um, but, yeah, I'll take that one step further, uh, Woodson. Let's let's do it every every month. Try to figure out something, you know, heck, teach, put it in schools. That, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It just, it's just super eye-opening because it's like a, a piece of your history you don't even know about, man. Yeah. I like this. This episode was really fun to yeah. do on account of just being like, oh, woke up this morning, didn't know much about it. Then about this time, we're talking yeah. about it. I mean, it, it was. <laughs> I know so much more about these people. It, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, really good. It's super eye-opening. I mean, and heck, I mean, we just snuck in three. We snuck in two figures and then one event. So that was, that was good. I'm happy with that. I mean, so... Uh, well, Gabriel, I think we learned a lot today. I think yeah, we did too. And Isabella is really on <laughs> yeah. me right now. She she needs me to get to her yep, job. Yep, so that's, uh, I'm going to play the uh, bust thing. She's just lucky she's All white. right. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're headed <laughs> so out. Bad.
Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye, Joe. <laughs>